0: A content warning, this series deals with dark themes including child and domestic abuse, sexual assault, and content that is inappropriate for children. Please be advised.
1: In the twelve tribes, there's a phrase that they repeat often: "It's better to be wrong together than right alone."
2: We just so regret having met them and believe them.
3: They are going to take care of Marcia because Marcia knows where all the bodies are buried.
0: I'm Tim Elliott. You're listening to Inside the Tribe. This is episode nine: The Race. Death of Twelve Tribes founder leaves future uncertain for
4: international Christian movement. Albert Eugene Spriggs is
5: verstorben. Leader the 12 tribus está
6: muerto. According to multiple ex-members of the 12 tribes who still have friends and family within the community, Albert Eugene Spriggs, known as Janek by members of the community died on January eleventh, twenty 2021, at 8.35 p.m. They suspect his death was COVID-19 related. Janek was the founder and leader of the 12 tribes' communities, which many people consider to be a cult.
3: Racist, sexist, homophobic cult leader dead
5: at 83.
0: There had long been speculation about what the tribes would look like without its leader. A TV reporter asked former member Michael Painter about it in the early 1990s.
5: What happens when Spriggs dies?
0: They will really have a power struggle. There'll be a whole bunch of people trying to uh, take over.
4: And they'll follow. Certain people will go off and follow one leader. and Mm -hmm. Certain people will go off. They may hold together for a little bit. With Spriggs being gone and with there being no further revelation, It's that this is where the group will most likely just um, eventually go out of business over the course of, you know, decades. Maybe a generation or two.
7: You'll have pockets of people that'll still live the same way because it's what they know. They don't know how to do
4: anything else. And they have some, you know, uh, cottage industry that's that's supporting that particular community. So they'll just maintain that.
0: One thing's for sure. Yonek's death has been hugely destabilising. According to those who have recently left, there's a growing fearfulness within the communities, a sense that the group is circling the wagons.
8: To me, it just felt a tightening on just life. Like, like uh, I don't even know how to really describe it, but it just felt different. It felt like if we weren't all in the sack, same lockstep, that there was something off and wrong. You know, I mean, it started off when he died.
0: According to Rivka and her husband, Hashak, who left the tribes in 2022, the group has become stricter than ever. Sport is forbidden, even on rest days. Pianos have been removed from households, as well as any books not written by the tribes.
5: You know, he's trying to, like, hope that it's going to, like, somehow work, something's going to change for the better, and... And stuff is changing, but not for the better.
9: Like right now it's pretty strict. Like all people can use is the common sense products, like the stuff we make that line. So that's what we are supposed to have in our bathrooms, the shampoo and conditioner from common sense, the soap and the sink.
7: We're getting reports from all over the place from people that are either have just left or you know letting us know that it depends on what group, who the elder is, you know, the senior person on in that particular compound. Things are either very, very strict, really, really they're they're um, adhering to the law in a lot of ways.
8: Really, I think the control has only gotten worse. I feel that they're scared, but I don't know what they're afraid of except that they're losing people.
9: Anytime you go out, like <laughs> or thrift stores, you pray on the way, hope you find a lost sheep.
0: Cults in transition or under great pressure have a way of going off the rails. For example, in the deadly siege of the Branch Davidian sect in Waco, Texas, in 1993, and at the infamous Jonestown Massacre in 1978, when 918 people killed themselves in a compound in South America at the behest of a charismatic American preacher named Jim Jones. Not surprisingly, the tribes have always tried to distance themselves from this kind of thing.
5: The goal, for the most part, is to be as non-compound-like. That's what I've, you know, my impression, as far from looking like a compound as possible. Meaning being dispersed in neighborhoods and, uh, I mean, having small clusters in a couple houses near nearby one another in a neighborhood um, where you're right there around your neighbors and not
4: secluded.
0: But such comparisons are almost inevitable. In every Yellow Deli, for example, you'll find the following pamphlet.
4: We who write this paper are not living to make this world a better place. We do not believe this current world order can be fixed. We look forward
3: to its end.
0: In 2010, someone posted on an ex-members forum that he feared Yonek's death could bring on another Jonestown. One brother told me he sleeps on a very hard futon so he can be prepared for the wilderness. The tribes are planning to gather in the wilderness someday because they
8: believe the world will reject them. Sounds like Jonestown in Waco, doesn't it?
0: According to the tribe's teachings, Jane's death signaled the beginning of what they call the race.
1: They believe they only have 50 years to bring about the end of the age and the right conditions for the Messiah to return. So that's what they're focused on right now. They think they only have 50 years to accomplish this, so they're like really, you know, intense about it. And um, the biggest part of that, obviously, is be ready for the Messiah's return and the raising up of this, you know, pure generation that they preach.
0: The length of the race has been determined according to the Book of Revelations which repeatedly references the number seven. The tribes then believe that they have seven lots of seven years, that is, 49 years, after which, in the 50th year, Yeshua will return.
8: The last three and a half years, the, the community have to leave their homes. They all go out into what's called the wilderness. Wherever that wilderness is, is probably different for every geographical community. They start bringing up all these uh, signs in the sky. Oh, this shows that Yonik was the true prophet. And then they said that Yonik died on the same day that that Moses died in the wilderness. Yonik, like Moses, literally they're putting him up like Moses and Elisha. And they take scriptures out of out of the bible that are speaking about jesus christ but they liken it to yonick and say he was the sprig and the branch that was broken and all that yeah it, it was just getting in my opinion weird
7: one of the parents in australia i don't know if it was a parent that was in australia or happened to be down there or what heard him speak and he was talking about um, the end times and amassing munitions or something oh, yeah, that was
4: that lady from New York
7: From yeah that's right and, and she said she's a therapist she said it was frightening To hear him talk like that, because even though he's not supposed to be the leader, obviously he is. And that if the end came and somebody came after him, it would be like a a Waco thing. That really disturbed her to no end. And she said, I was terrified sitting there listening to him. You can imagine how those under his sway probably were scared, but there's nothing they can do about it. But that never occurred. I mean, nobody, as far as we know, nobody ever amassed munitions.
4: Yeah, no, yeah, no, I don't think they're doing that at all. No, um, I, although I would, during a transition, I I don't know what knows? would happen at this point, but I doubt that that would be the case. They don't have a history of that at all.
3: I don't worry about them all going out like Jim Jones or David Koresh and the Waco Davidians, because this is a very worldly group. This is a group with millions and millions of dollars worth of assets, with people who care about those assets, uh, because they're very materialistic, contrary to what they say. And so they're not going to kill themselves or, or implode the group because that's not what they're about. Uh, what they do is they will talk about the end times and they will talk about judgment to create unreasonable fears about the end of the world, the outside world. They make the outside world seem very threatening, very negative, to keep the people in to trap them, to keep them controlled. If you're constantly worrying the end of the world's coming and you will be judged by, by God, according to the dictates of Gene Spriggs and his interpretation of the Bible, it keeps you glued in. It keeps you a captive individual.
0: The group has always been keen to downplay the idea that Gene was calling all the shots that he was some kind of all-powerful figurehead. As Asher, a German member living in Tennessee, told the local paper in 2021.
5: Spriggs was never anybody that wanted authority for himself. In the community, we have authority. It's not like we have authority in the world where the ones at the top have to say everything. It's more of a council of people. His death doesn't really change anything as far as our structure goes. He poured his life into us for 50 years. If it's not there, we might as well fall out and go home. But that's not the case.
3: When a leader like Spriggs dies, that's a very big event. Think of a destructive cult like a wheel. When the leader founder dies, it's like the hub of the wheel is gone. And the wheel starts to collapse. Many groups that are personality driven, like 12 tribes, will basically disintegrate after the leader dies, unless someone with charisma, someone with power takes over and fills that void. So they're they're going through a transition right now. And eventually someone or a group of a relatively small group, probably of maybe a dozen people or less, will take over by feeding out the assets to different people that Spriggs trusted in an effort to make it impossible to litigate a single entity, he took a risk by putting assets under the names of individuals. Those individuals can now decide, well, you know what? I've got a few million in assets, and I'm just gonna take the house in Asheville, or I'm gonna take the the house on Cape Cod or the yacht, or the, you know, the schooner or whatever, and I'm just gonna go on my merry way and i am not going to continue with this group i see this as my golden parachute praise the lord and pull the ripcord so there may be some people that do that but there also may be someone and we we have yet to see this person emerge that has the ability to put it together again and become the new prophet yo
0: even those who have studied the group for decades Including Bob Pardon and Rick Allen Ross, are unclear about who will take the reins, but they are fairly sure it won't be your ex-wife, Harmick.
4: As far as the leadership and that kind of, uh, yeah, you know, theology, yeah, because
7: Masha is not going to get revelation.
4: No,
3: she certainly uh, shared power to some extent with Gene Spriggs, according to many people during his his lifetime and his rule over the group. But, you know, I think also she would be tempted to just take the money and live her life. I don't know what deal Marsha's got, but I guarantee you it's a better deal than the average member of 12 tribes and that she has cash, that she has homes that she can live in, that they are going to take care of Marsha. Because Marcia knows where all the bodies are buried. Marcia knows everything. She knows the secrets of the group, and she probably has a stash of assets of her own that she controls. But even if she didn't, which I seriously doubt, she knows too much for them not to take care of her. But is it enough to make her the, the ruler of the group, the preeminent power in the group? Maybe not.
0: But that hasn't stopped members of the group speculating about her role in the future.
4: If Marcia is still alive, that's what I was going to say. They'll stay just like they are. The
0: This is a founding member, James Howell, who spoke with a TV reporter in the 1990s.
5: It's just like, um, how's the president and? <laughs> how's the president
4: and her husband? They dress the way they do because she designed it. Mm-hmm. Years ago, Marcia tried to influence us in it. Uh, when the, when she first became a quote unquote Christian, she got into a religious book and found what she wanted to be, and it was a Seventh Day Adventist. They didn't eat meat. They, you know, most of them didn't eat meat. they Worshipped on the Sabbath. Worshipped on the Sabbath. All that. Now you look at the community and look what they've become. That's Marcia's influence. We met Spriggs and had some run-ins with him, but. But having said that, you know, I've heard some people say that um, Marcia kind of wore the pants, so to speak. Yeah.
6: And he even sort of said, oh, you have to ask my wife. I don't know, you know, ask my wife, you know. And I've never heard a a quote cult leader say, ask my wife, you know. So (laughs) I was pretty, I thought he's quite unique. It seems for a long time she's been the head administrator. For one thing, he doesn't do email. So she does all the emails.
9: She was a very lively person and very like uh, has a high pitched voice, you know, like talking like a little girl and stuff. She could be very sweet to some people, but at the same time, she could be very mean and very cold and very cutting. Uh, like she could make people feel bad just by, by looking at them, you know, the way she just looked at some people made them feel low and down and like look down on um, she had that kind of power, and she was very inf- influential in the group because since Yonik didn't touch emails, all the communication was always coming from her. So she was his mouthpiece.
4: I mean, they acted more like brother and sister uh, when they were together, and it's hard to tell who's in charge. She was quite bossy with the women. She was she was a she was a tough master with the women in the in the kitchen and everything. She would make all the kitchen and dietary rules.
5: I'm not even sure where all those other people are right now or who lives in what commune. Uh, Jean Spriggs' wife, not even sure where she is. She's, she's been the biggest manipulating force behind this, even with her husband and stuff. He's passed on and their whole life's crumbling, their whole religion is. But there's a lot of people still stuck on their lies.
0: If you're confused about who's in charge, that's because you're meant to be. The whole structure of the Twelve Tribes appears to have been made as opaque as possible. We know, for instance, that Marsha and Jean's names rarely appeared on any of the financial documents. Neither were they listed as directors of any of the Twelve Tribes' businesses. So where does that leave Marsha, the spiritual Eminence Gree, Yonex Muse, a seeker like so many of her husband's followers? We tried to ask Marsha herself, but didn't get a response. So the truth is, we just don't know. It's about Yahshua, our master. The 12 tribes have come a long way, from a small group of young evangelists in the 1970s in Chattanooga to a network of communities all around the world. We've done our best to chart their descent into fundamentalism and paranoia. But diagnosing their motivations is a different matter.
9: I don't believe they themselves, in their own mind, had an evil intent. I think they, you know like when you get lost in your own power? You you drink so much of the Kool-Aid that your brain is scrambled, and then all of a sudden you cannot... Differentiate where the barriers are. You don't. You don't know where the lines are anymore. But if you ask me, don't you think they knew what they're doing? I think for sure, at some at somewhere deep inside, they knew. They knew there wasn't. It's not right to abuse people this way. They knew they're doing something. They had to justify themselves somehow.
5: What they've done is on them, and what I do is on me. And I don't want any of their karma associated with me because what they've done is.
1: Within the Twelve Tribes, there's a phrase that they repeat often. It's better to be wrong together than right alone.
0: Sarah Steele, a producer and writer based in Sydney, hosts a podcast called Let's Talk About Sects, where she discusses high-control groups and interviews cult members.
6: Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects.
0: Sarah has just written a book called Do As I Say, based on her research.
6: That's one of the most tragic things is that you have so many people, so many wonderful good people who have so much to give and they're giving of themselves to these <laughs> these groups that are just taking advantage of them, usually to line the pockets of someone at the top, sometimes just for power and control. I, I did a survey of I, I think almost 300 people in writing my book who had come out of uh, high-demand groups. And less than half of them had actually sought psychological help from a uh, mental health professional, which I think 100% of them would have needed it based on what they're going through. Like, a huge proportion of them identified symptoms that sound to me like they would fit in with PTSD.
0: Generally speaking, adult cult members are regarded by the law as having acted of their own free will. They have no legal protection or way of clawing back money or assets that they've signed away.
7: Our government, they don't acknowledge all of that stuff. They don't recognise the devastation that comes from being totally controlled your whole life. They think, oh, well, you're not there anymore. You should be able to be fine, but you've got nothing to stand on.
0: Bob and Judy Pardon are the American cult experts who tried to help Rose's sister and brother In the early 2000s. They've helped hundreds of people transition back to normal life at their deprogramming center called Meadowhaven outside of Boston.
4: These are individuals we dealt with the worst of the worst. That's who we took in. Most people don't need to have some place to go when they get out of a disruptive group but there is a small subset that do and so these were individuals who as I would put it, they were, we were the last stop on the railroad for them. Yeah. They had uh, tried to commit suicide. Some of them, yeah. Some of them had tried to do that. They were on psychiatric meds. Um, they uh, uh, had been hospitalized at, at, at different points. so they were And they were barely functional in terms of being able to navigate society at all.
5: When I was on the ship and when I was going out evangelizing and stuff, that was my job. And that was what I did. And that was my only way to survive was going out and handing free papers to people and evangelizing people and trying to recruit them there. And all I want to do is like scream to these people, just run, get the fuck out of here. You know, but I couldn't do that. There was no way for me to do that. And the only way I could make my life possible and not start a whole absolute shit storm of problems coming my own way was to play along. The biggest relief I would say is Coming out here and very quickly realizing that, oh, maybe I'm not going to go to hell. Maybe I still can be a good person. Maybe I'm not a bad person just because I walked away from them. Even in our kind of difficult situation here, um, I still feel like it's like a hundred times better than a good day there.
9: Watching movies was huge. Interacting with people, huge one because difficult figuring those things out. Because I used to go around and tell people I was in a cult, so then apparently that's not really a social <laughs> thing to say around to get friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, so
2: I stopped saying that. <laughs> and that's why when we left...
0: Courtney, who left like the cult that. a few years after testifying it for her friend Kim says she and her husband never truly recovered from learning the yeah, truth yeah. about the tribes.
2: The last few years, I struggled um, feeling needed but not wanted, you know, that we were needed, we were necessary, but it wasn't like we were wanted. We knew we we weren't in the inner circle, and we didn't want to be in the inner circle. And um, how we saw longtime friends when they got into the inner circle change. We didn't
0: want to be a part of it. More often than not, leaving the cult means severing ties to the people you've left inside, including partners, parents, siblings, and even children. We've used pseudonyms throughout this series at the request of former members, who are afraid that by speaking out, they could lose contact with their loved ones forever.
8: You know, it's like being in a bad dream I can't wake up from. You know, I literally wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I sigh. You know, it's just a regret. You know, I miss my family. They were investing in my emotions. They will love
2: bomb you. Off the plan. You know, I've got four kids. I've never seen four grandchildren.
3: It breaks my heart.
1: If you leave the whole rest of the world for the community and then later you leave the community, what are you left with? <laughs> you know? While I was there, they replaced that need in me to to have that companionship. And now I find myself lonely a lot because of, you know, the the choices I made when I was in my early 20s, they still have an effect on my life now.
3: The cruelest thing about the young people when they leave is if they have any family, they have any friends in the group, and of course they do, Because this is their whole life, if they were raised in the group. So all their friends, all their family are in the group. And when they leave, they are shunned. The only way that they can be in communication with their family and friends is to come back, participate in one of their feasts and festivals, which is an opportunity for the group to preach to them, to try and pull them back in and so on, which becomes very... Uh, difficult for them.
0: It's been 10 years since Mark and Rose saw their eldest daughter, who is now 32. All they know is that she is living with the 12 tribes in Kyoto. She has four young daughters, but Mark and Rose have no contact with them.
2: I couldn't be the mother I wanted to be there. I couldn't love them the way I wanted to. And that's the thing that really kills me, you know. uh, It's like I've missed a whole part of my life there. I couldn't be the mother I wanted to be. I was not able to give them the love. I wanted to give them the love. You know, when you love your kids, you really want to give them the best. and You know, love them in every way you can. But there was only one very strict way. Of what love is, and that involved physically punishing them and being distant from them. And you know, we didn't go on holidays, didn't we have a bonding times with our children? We don't have the memories, and we're very distant from them, really. So, it's just something you can never get back. You know, your children grow up, and sure. when it's gone, it's gone. We just so regret having met them, and uh, and believe them. I was really sincere, so I'm not ashamed of having uh, become part of it, but I'm really pissed off that they lie, and they continue to lie, and that they're allowed to lie, and that they're still there. And uh, it uh, it really pisses me off, and they they target uh, young people, uh, and they really like idealistic people.
6: This was more than just a sweet, benign order of people who believed in natural fibres and dancing on a Saturday and, you know, the brotherhood of man. It's almost like the food manipulates people that, oh, they're just this benign, sweet little cult and they all have beards and long hair and, you know, but it's not. It's fundamentally a, a, a religious order that tells people how to think, what to think, what to dress, what to eat, where to go. What became apparent was that this was occurring where I lived. And I found that, quite abhorrent that so many people like friends would go and oh they just got lovely cakes and drinks and it's just such a nice atmosphere it's all hand-carved fucking furniture and i was like um this this place there's something wrong here
0: so what about accountability what about making the cult answer for the pain it's caused in australia and worldwide the tribes have been implicated in child abuse labor violations All the stillborn babies and unregistered burials. They've abused their members and manipulated their minds. And yet they still have their cafes and farms and businesses, all trading with trusts and fancy accounting. It's an outrage, especially for those who've been hurt the most.
6: The number of people who come out you know, and and go to try and talk to the police about what has happened to them and they have to pick up all of the pieces and restart their entire life, it's just unbelievable. And as far as I can tell, like a bunch of human rights are being violated and nobody is doing much about it.
0: Authorities seem either powerless or unwilling to pursue them, but that could change. The state in which the tribes operate in Australia, New South Wales, is about to pass coercive control laws to recognise the role emotional abuse plays in family violence. Under the new laws, people who repeatedly manipulate or abuse their current or former partner by, for example, withholding money or not allowing them to see family or friends, could serve up to seven years in prison. The current law only applies to domestic partners, but Sarah thinks there's scope to apply it to cults like the Twelve Tribes.
6: Like, the behaviours are just all the same as those that happen in uh, domestic abuse situations. It's like the isolation, cutting people off from friends and family, monitoring communications, like limiting the media, like all all of these elements exist in these cult situations. It's hard for me to understand why that behavior could be considered a crime when you're doing it to one person and not considered a crime when you're doing it to more people.
0: For decades, former members have been writing to politicians and authorities in Europe and the US, asking them to step in. We've even seen a letter to the US Senator Bernie Sanders from the 1990s describing the tribes as a dangerous sect that was abusing children and breaking up families. Former members are currently lobbying US politicians, but so far it's all come to nothing.
3: For a long time in the United States... There is this wall of separation between church and state, the First Amendment, and it's 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 a greatly uh, valued part of American American life. That if you're religious, you have religious rights. The government grants you tax exempt status, but not only that, you have uh, more protections than another nonprofit uh would have because you're a religion you're a religious nonprofit and so what these groups do is when you criticize them or when you draw attention to something that they're doing that might be criminal or or very damaging they will say oh that's persecution you're persecuting us i mean we're the people of god we're the the one true group that is really following the truth whereas all the others aren't. And so that is why we are being persecuted. In fact, we are being persecuted as Christ was persecuted. And so go ahead and, and, and crucify us. And the authorities are going, I don't want to get into this scenario. I mean, whenever law enforcement historically gets involved with a religious entity, Uh, be it a religious cult or whatever, and there's improprieties and they're investigating, this becomes an issue. Separation of church and state, First Amendment rights. Are you persecuting us? Because they will raise that issue. Increasingly now in the U.S., it's changing. It's slowly changing. You can believe whatever you want. That's the First Amendment. But you cannot do whatever you wish in the name of your beliefs. You are subject to the same laws as everyone else. So if you're violating labor laws or you're physically abusing children or whatever, you are held liable for that. If you're moving money around in a way that is improper according to tax laws, you are responsible for that.
0: Throughout the making of this podcast, I've been concerned mainly with telling other people's stories. Those whose lives have become disastrously entangled with the 12 tribes. Mark and Rose, Matt Klein and his daughter Tessa, David Pike, Courtney, Kim, Paolo, Oz, Rivka and Suvav. Though each of their stories is complex and unique, and while the wounds they carry all differ the question of why they joined in the first place is relatively easy to answer. They all crossed paths with the 12 tribes at a point in their lives when they were, to differing degrees, vulnerable, emotionally exposed, lonely, perhaps isolated, in want of belonging. When you look at it this way, the fact that they ended up in a group like the tribes was more a matter of bad luck than bad judgment.
9: Nobody decides to join a cult.
0: This is is Raphael Aron, Aron, a cult expert based in Melbourne.
9: In the same way, nobody decides to become involved in drugs. Uh, You know, make a decision one day and decide I'm going to become, you know, a drug user.
7: I was leaving an abusive relationship and it was so warm and glowy and um, I just felt
2: like I could relax and that. I would be safe. My children would be safe. And so then you compare your life, and you think, "Oh, I'm alone. Now. I'm not that spiritual as spiritual as them." It's like it's a bit like being fat.
8: I really got taken at that point because I really felt like I'd made friends. You know, there was a particular fellow who um, befriended me. You know, I really started sharing uh, sort of the innermost depths of my heart. And they really look for people that are dying out. My mother, I just died in my arms. I lost everything. My daughter was in the community. My best friends were either in prison or dead.
4: I ran over to see if I had a joint, and which was one of my favorite occupations at that time. And they were from the community, and they said they didn't do that, but they had something better.
0: They had something better. I totally get that. When I was 18, my father committed suicide. I was at university doing an arts degree and desperately unhappy and lost. When a group of American evangelical Christians came onto campus, I found myself gravitating toward them. Before long, I was standing in a small room in the English department with a man with his hands on my head speaking in tongues. I so wanted to believe in him, to be embraced by God or by Jesus or something. I was searching for the ineffable, to get past the world of pain and into communion, the lure of which was irresistible. But it didn't work. I couldn't fool myself. If God was real, he wasn't talking to me. I chose my friends and family the people who really loved and knew me. And so I left at the end of that meeting, and I didn't go back. We're living in dangerous times. War, the pandemic, climate disasters. Faith in institutions, in government, the media, is at an all-time low, and people are looking for answers. It's the perfect opportunity for groups like the Twelve Tribes.
9: A lot of these groups are thriving. Um, we've never been as busy as we have been over the last couple of years because of the, the COVID pandemic, and that's for, for various different reasons. One is because COVID has created a huge degree of uncertainty, and these groups present with some level of certainty. They provide what we traditionally say are simple solutions to complex problems. And a lot of these groups do believe in some sort of um Uh, end and and it's all going to happen it's all going to come down, the Armageddon is going to catch up with all of us and therefore the COVID pandemic has lent some sort of strength to those sorts of arguments
0: So where are we heading? When will the race end? And how? Their world is already shrinking and the singing is growing louder It's all peace, love and Armageddon Inside the Tribe. You've been listening to Inside the Tribe, hosted by me, Tim Elliott. My co-writer and producer is Camille Bianchi. Editing by Mark Wright of Term 6. This is a DM podcast production. We've also used some third party TV and print material through the series, with details on those in the show notes. If you or anyone you know is affected by any of the subject matter raised in this episode, you can contact Lifeline for crisis support on 13 11 14 if you're in Australia, or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline on 10.